you being here especially our visitors thank you all for coming to murrayville baptist church i'm excited about today of what god will do among us amen i'm going to ask brother navar Han if he will to open us in prayer Remain standing, page 286.
first touch The man looked up as the scoffers heard him say Somebody touch me
Thank you all for being here at the house of God. Let me make some quick announcements and then we'll get on with our service. Uh, this coming Sunday is the first Sunday of December. And what we're doing that Sunday is we will be having Sunday morning service. But the afternoon service at five will be our Christmas party here at the church. It's for the entire church. And uh, if I remember correctly, we're asked to bring a white elephant gift and uh, also wear some kind of crazy outfit. And they're going to be going to give out gifts for for different uh, categories. But that'll be this coming Sunday on December the 4th. Tonight's service is going to be a special service. We're going to be baptizing Miss Aniston. And I'm going to wait till the last bubble comes out before I lift her up out of the baptistry. Amen. And I was told to do that because she is a Jackson. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so that'll be tonight's service at 5 o'clock. We'll be having the baptism. 
Brother Josh Bennett will be preaching for us, so you be sure to come back tonight, and we'll have a special service. Um, right after morning service, Sister Janet wants all the church choir to remain, and uh, they're going to be practicing, and also Brother Gene May asked me to mention that he needs a security team meeting right after morning service. Now, just for a heads up, going into the month of December, we got a lot going on, and I know you've got a lot personally going on, but I do want to give you a rundown of how our services will transpire going into the month of December and January. Uh, Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year. December the 25th is on a Sunday. There will be no Sunday school that morning, but we will be having morning service, but no evening service. So remember that, that's on Christmas Day. Then going into New Year's, which is also on a Sunday, New Year's Day, we will not be having any Sunday school. We will be having Sunday morning service and then that evening service at 5 o'clock. We're going to have our yearly chili cook-off. And the bitter duel between the Haynes brothers is still going on and... and uh, Joe was supposed to win that year, but it, I understand it was misjudged, and Jeff won. And, uh, huh? It was rigged. Rigged. So that'll be that uh, on, on, D, on January the 1st, we will be having our chili cook-off. What we'll do is we'll assemble in here for a short devotion, and then we will be going over next door and enjoying the first day of the new year with a with a good pot of chili. And if you think you can cook the best, bring it that evening. And then we're going to have three judges judge it. And uh, we'll be finding out who wins the grand prize. And uh, the one who wins the grand prize gets to take all the chili home with them. Amen. <laughs> but that just, just a rundown of what's going on uh, for the month of December and January.
Christmas is a time of God with us, but one day it'll be reversed and we'll be with God. Amen. We shall be with him one day. We'll see him. What a thought. Thank y'all for singing that song. That blessed my soul. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. When you find that passage of scripture, if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word. I was told last Sunday we had some testimonies and I was told that a lot of people had time to heal uh, last Sunday. I've been preaching on the home about husband and wife relationships and and uh, I've been told that many men have walked out of here wounded on the ankles from their wives kicking them on the on the ankles and so have the wives walked out of here wounded but uh we'll be back on that again this morning about the thoughts of a growing marriage a growing love for one another and how to how to wind up having the greatest godliest marriage and enjoy home life has been our, our thoughts and our our desires through the course of these messages if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word out of Ecclesiastes chapter number four. You study the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon is the writer, the penman. Of course, we know that the Holy Ghost inspired every word of it. And it was, it was written from the viewpoint of everything done under the sun without without regard to God's intervening and, and things, just the things that man does up under the sun. And you'll find that little phrase, under the sun, many times throughout the course of these chapters of Ecclesiastes. He's writing in Ecclesiastes 4, and he's writing about the vanities of life. And there are many vanities in this life and in this world. And he begins there in verse number seven with a, a thought. He says, then I returned, Solomon writes, and I saw vanity where? Under the sun. He said, there is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor? Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Then he continues that with this conclusion, two are better than one. Because they, the two of them, have a good reward for, look at this, their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? You know this was written before electric blankets. <laughs> and if one, verse number 12, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. 
and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. An odd way, an odd thing, an odd thought to end this, this, this uh, narrative of a home, of a marriage. It begins with just one individual and talks about all the vanity of one trying to live completely alone. Then he goes into the thought of two are better than just one. It refrains back to Genesis chapter number 2, where God says, and he looked at man whom he had created, and there laid Adam on the ground. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll create him and help meet for him. And we know that God created a woman and placed the two together. And oh, did God know what he was doing when he created a woman. And all the men in here said, Amen. 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 God, God knew what he was doing when he created a woman and gave her to a man. I want to take this text this morning and use it in continuance of our thoughts on this thing about a growing love in a marriage. And I pray that God will use the thought that I'm, on, I'm going to center in on this morning, just a, just a general thought that will go along with this time of season that will help your love for each other, husband and wife, to grow. And that's what love is designed to do, is designed to grow. Human love is just, it's just that, it's just human love. But when you talk about God's love, the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And if you've got Jesus on the inside of you, that love that he placed inside of your heart is designed to grow. And it's designed to grow for your mate, your spouse, your husband, your wife, that love is designed to get bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. And that's the only way that a, a home, a marriage, will be able to survive in this life is for your love to grow for your spouse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll bring you our thoughts for the morning. Our Heavenly Fathers, we gather, Lord, at the throne of grace, how every one of us needs you this morning, Lord. We need the touch of God. I need it, Lord, personally, to be able to feed your sheep and to do it well. I pray that you'd please give me a clean heart and the right spirit about me, that I might, I might do what you called me to do and do it right. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for every person that's here, that they would receive the engrafted word and it would benefit the home, every home represented here, that it would benefit every person that has turned aside to come and gather at the house of God. And Lord, you add your favor and your blessings to the preaching of the word of God and quicken us all now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We've been in this 
in this thought for some while now. And we've looked at different things, different principles of a growing love, and especially within the context of a marriage, a home. And I understand, I've heard a lot of great comments about these thoughts and these messages on how it's helping has uh, helping us to realize and remember some things of why God did it the way he did it in the very beginning. God created one man. He created one woman. And he put those two together to become one flesh. And that constitutes a marriage. That's the definition of a marriage defined by the author of marriage, God himself. And we've been looking at some things that we can apply in our homes to generate and to cultivate a growing marriage. And especially in the area of our love for each other. And a love needs to grow. It has to grow to survive. It's kind of like faith. Faith has to grow. It has to be tested. It has to be... It has to be exercised for it to actually grow and so does our love our love has to grow and uh, let me say this at the outset if our love for each other does not grow I'm going to I'm going to tell you why it will not grow if you are in a marital relationship with a with your spouse and your thoughts of is every time something hap- happens, maybe some trouble enters, and your thoughts are to run, to get out of it, to leave it, your love will always stay shallow in your life. Love has tests to it. Love hurts at times. To honestly love somebody it will, it will hurt you at times. Can I get a witness in here? God himself is love and his love for us has been hurt. It came through hurtful experiences at Calvary. But he did not run away from that love. He did not exit himself on that love. His love grew for us And if our love is ever going to grow, it will be tested and hurt. And we cannot run from it. If your thoughts are, well, I'll just get out of this. I'll just divorce that person. I'll leave. I'll separate. I'll run. Your love will always be a shallow love. And it will never become, I don't care who you are with. It will always be shallow. It will always be uncultivated. It will always be just babyish. It will always be just basic, what we call love and nothing to it. Love will stay in. Love will abide. Love will find, look for no fault. Love will stay with the one you say you love. We've already looked at these these principles of a growing love, a growing marriage. 
And that is the first principle was always you personally stay in love with Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of all our loves. If you have Christ in your life, you have the love of God inside of you. And, it's to, and that love is placed in us upon inception of salvation. It is placed inside of every person who names the name of Jesus Christ. If you don't have the love of Christ in you, you are none of His. If you don't have God's love inside of you, you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just a matter of, of fact, Bible fact. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the number one thing is love. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you don't have God's love abiding in you, you are not saved. We've looked at this about abiding in the love of God. We looked at this second thought. Commit, stay committed to having a great godly marriage. Don't settle for just anything. Stay committed to having a great godly marriage. And that means that each husband must commit themselves to being the greatest, the godliest husband that can be afforded by the work of God in your life. And every wife must commit herself to being the greatest and the godliest wife in that relationship that God's grace can afford you. That means you're going to have to let God work inside of you. You're going to have to let God have his way in your life. Oh, it's one thing to point your finger at the spouse but it's another thing to point your finger at yourself and say, it's me standing in need of prayer. Now we're going to look at this principle and carry on with this thought this morning. And we're going to look, look at this principle from this text that we've read or two are better than just one. And we're going to look at this thought on staying thankful for your spouse. I'm not talking about being thankful for just anyone being in your life. I'm not thinking, I'm not talking about just being thankful that you've got somebody in your life. I'm talking about you personally being thankful for the person that God has placed in your marriage as your spouse. And think about them by name. I'm thankful that Debbie Dale is my wife. I'm not thinking about an, just anybody. I'm not thinking about another person. I'm thinking about her and her alone. I'm thankful that she is my wife. And you need to do the same. You need to stay thankful for the person, that individual that God has placed in your life. I believe it like this. I believe that the day that God brought Eve to Adam and presented her to him, that was God's specific will of a person to be placed in his life for Adam alone. 
It was Eve. It was not Claire. It was not, it was not Debbie. It was not any other person by name. It was Eve that God placed in her life. And I believe if you're ever going to grow in your love and in your marriage for each other, you've got to stay thankful for the person that God has placed in your life. Now, along with that, I want to say this, that the will of God for every one of us is that we should be thankful. We need to be thankful people. If we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say this, that God has been a lot better to us than we have to him. Can I get a witness right there? You're getting a lot better in life than you ever have deserved. Every one of us in this room deserve hell, but if you're saved, you're not going. That's a lot better deal than what we lived out in life. All of us deserve the wrath of God, but we're not going to get it if you're saved because, because God is a lot better to us than we are to Him. And we need to learn to be thankful for the person that God has placed in your life and continually be thankful for them. Now, that's a big statement. And I'm going to enlarge on that. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to, I'm going to preach on that thought. And we're going to consider some things about staying thankful for the person that God has placed in your life. In this text that, that Solomon has written, he begins by making some, uh, some summations about two being better than just one. He starts out with one individual. He says, I looked at vanity up under the sun. They lived all by themselves. They had no brothers. They had no sisters. They had no fathers. They had no mothers. They were right by themselves. Now, it's hard for us to imagine anybody in that kind of situation. But Solomon said, I looked and I saw it. I looked out there and there was one person all by themselves. And he said they worked for themselves. Everything they did was just for self. <clears throat> and he went on and, and described that as being just a vanity of life. <clears throat> then he made this statement. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Then he went on and described why. He said that two are better than one in verse number one. Nine, because they have a good reward for their labor together. And he's talking about a marital relationship. Two are better than one. And he said, if they are gold-minded together, if they are striving for the same thing together, they have a good reward of their labor together. They can get more accomplished working together. If you've got two people in a relationship, this one's doing their own thing, that one's doing their own thing, that, that one's got their goal, this one's got their goal, this one's got their, their dreams, that one's got their dreams, they'll never be able to complement one another. But he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Then he talks about in verse number 10. He said two are better than one because if one falls, 
the other will be able to lift him up. The other will be able to reach down and help the other one come back up. If you're living by yourself, you're going to be making commercials all your, all your life long. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Two are better than one because if the one were to fall, the other one can help them up. A couple of Sundays ago, we had just started service. I had just started preaching. Debbie got a phone call from Mama. She was at the house by herself, and she fell, broke her wrist, and she had to call for help to come help her. Why? Because she was all alone. She had to call for somebody to come and help her up. And so, and so the Bible says, and it is true, two are better than one. I've often at times in marriage counseling, I'll do this. I'll draw a little stick. I cannot draw. I do stick figures. And in that stick figure drawing, I'll, I'll, make this, I'll make this drawing of one person or two people standing on top of a mountain. One of those falls down onto a ledge below the top of the mountain. With one, the other one on top is going to reach down and help the other one up but they have no support. They have nothing to hold on to. And so they try to pull the other one up and they, they'll fall also. The one on the ledge will pull the one on the mountain down because they're not holding on to anything. And I illustrate it this way. You personally, you personally, you the husband, you the wife need to have a connection to God to hold on to for when you lean over, then you've got support yourself to be able to hold the, pull the other one back up to the top of the mountain. And that's true of every one of us. Your relationship with Jesus Christ has got to be strong enough expecting your husband, your wife, maybe to slip and fall spiritually. Then you can be holding on to God in prayer and can reach down and help the other one back up. Falls do happen. I fall. Debbie falls. We all fall at times. We all get weak. We all stumble. We all uh, fall to the ground spiritually, so to speak. And it's better to have two in a home to help each other back up than it is to be all alone. Then he goes on in verse number 11. He says, he says again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Cold times happen in a marriage. Our hearts get cold one to the other. Our love wanes. Our love our love's just not what it should be. And we have those cold seasons in our life. But if one gets cold and the other one has still got a heart warm toward the other, then there's hope and there's help. The trouble comes when both hearts get cold one to the other. When one says... I don't love them anymore. And the other one says, well, I don't love them anymore. And the two grow cold toward each other. Then there is Satan standing right in the middle, dividing those two hearts 
through coldness of heart. They asked Jesus one time, says, why did Moses allow for a bill of divorcement? He said, in the beginning, it was not so. He said, it did never, I never invented the marriage for a divorce to ever happen. He said, but the reason, the reason that I allowed for divorce was because of the hardness of your heart. See, hearts get cold at times. But as long as there's one that'll stay in love with the other, there's always hope because they always have a heart to keep loving and to keep abiding with the one that God has given them. Then he says in verse number 12, he said two are better than one because if one prevail against them, then they too can withstand the one trying to come against them. When two realize this, that a home has an enemy, we all have an enemy, and it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it is Satan who is trying to divide your marriage. He's trying to divide your heart, trying to divide your head, trying to divide your hands, trying to divide your hope, trying to divide everything that brings two people together. He's standing there trying to divide. And if the two of you will make up your mind, Satan is not going to have my marriage. Satan is not going to have my home. Then there's hope for that home. There's hope. Two are better than one. Then he made this. He ended with this comment. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. And I want to read to you about this threefold cord. Matthew chapter number 7. And then I'm going to give you an illustration about this. In Matthew chapter number 7. For Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6... Matthew chapter 7, you go back and look at it. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, every word in it is, is red and it's Jesus speaking to every person in front of him. And this is his conclusion at the end of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says these words in verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth, these sayings of mine and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. What house? The house that was built upon doing the word of God. The house that had the word of God as his foundation. What is he telling us? Battles and storms and things will come against that house. But look what he said. Beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. What is that rock? Doing what Jesus Christ said. But then look at this. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine. Here it is. And doeth them not. 
You hear it, you hear it, you hear it. It's put in, it's made offerable to you. It's given to you. You listen, you sit there, you've got two ears, you've got a mind. You listen to everything that Jesus has said, but there's something wrong in your heart. You say, not for me. I'm not going to apply that. It's their fault. It don't apply to me. It's their issue. If they would change, if that one would change, if they would do this, it don't affect me. He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. He said, I will he shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon sand. The same thing happened. Rain descended, floods came, the winds blew, beat upon what? That house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Why? Because somebody in that home decided, I don't care what that book says. I'm going to live it my own way. I'm going to do it without listening to Jesus. I've got this and it will not stand. What is that threefold cord? It is one man making up his mind. I'm going to do this God's way. It is one wife making up her mind. I'm going to do this God's way. And them uniting the word of God together in that home. Some years back, uh, Derek Howard and, and Tabitha Ransom decided they were going to get married. And they did something unique in their marriage ceremony that I've never seen since or before, they had instead of a unity candle or something like that where, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the unity candle. I'm not saying anything about that. But one a lot, you know, there'd be two candles lit. One represents the man, another represents the woman, the uh, unlit candle in the middle. Then the man and the woman, they come and they light the two. With the two, they light the one in the middle. Then they blow theirs out. And it represents them becoming one. But Derek and Tab did something unusual. They had a cross, a wooden cross. And they were sitting on a table. And it had a threefold cord wrapped around it. It was, it was not braided. It was just three cords wrapped around that cross. And during that time when they would normally do a unity candle, the two of them came up there and they, they took those three strands and then they braided or wove those three strands together. And those three strands were representing this threefold cord that the Bible speaks about. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And what one cord represented was Derek. The other cord represented Tabitha. And their third cord represented the unseen guest of Jesus Christ being involved in their union. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That threefold cord together, it represented the strength that a threefold cord affords. There's strength in Jesus Christ being involved in your marriage. It's not quickly broken. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of struggle. It takes a lot of work to break a threefold cord. 
But then not only does it represent the strength of a threefold cord, it represents the inseparable bond. When they wove those three together, they were saying this, their commitment to stay together through the good times and through the bad times. And in every marriage, there is both. There are good times. There are bad times. There are hard times. There are easy times. But it it happens to every marriage in every home. There's no such thing as a home exempt without some kind of battles. And it represented the everlasting commitment that the two of them were making to keep Jesus Christ involved in their relationship. If you're not committed to keeping Jesus Christ involved in your relationship, I offer you no hope. It's, a, it's, it's just founded on sinking sand. And sinking sand will give away somewhere within that marriage. We need to learn to stay thankful for the one that God has placed in your life. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful that they are a part of my life. I'm thankful that she's a part of my life. Thankful that God has given you that individual. To stay thankful for each other personally, not just thankful for someone or anyone being in your life, but that person that God placed in your life. I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 5. It's written to men, but I want you to imagine, whether you're a man or woman, I want you to imagine this being written to you. It said, let the fountain, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, O my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, brother Marty, and he pondereth all his goings. I'm leading somewhere with all of this. Every one of us in this room, male, female, no matter what age group you fall in, whether you're married, unmarried, you've got flaws. I know I just busted a lot of bubbles. I know, I know that some of y'all just got upset with me because you think you have none. But every one of us in this room have flaws. And I'm going to tell you something. Satan is a master at pointing out your spouse's flaws. Not yours. Oh no, he would never tell you what's wrong with you. But he'll point out the flaws of your wife. He'll point out the flaws of your husband. And they are many. But instead of letting him do that, why don't we consider the things that are good about our husband? And our wives. It may take some doing. Some, some say. 
Well, I'm sitting here thinking I can't think of one. Well, why did you marry the bum? If you can't think of one that is one good quality, why did you marry the jerk? <laughs> hey, young girls that ain't married, don't marry jerks. Don't marry bums. If they won't work when they're young, they ain't going to work for you when they get old. I'm trying to help y'all. Don't marry a bum. Marry somebody that'll love you enough to work for you and that'll love you and that'll care for your life. Satan is good at pointing out our, our flaws. Um, this is for the women. Hmm. The Bible says this, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words, and it spells it out like that in the text, grievous words stirreth up anger. The Bible also says about a woman, a woman, it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. In Proverbs 19, 13, women says this, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. You ever had a leaking faucet? Or something that just keeps dripping and dripping and dripping and it just gets on your every last nerve. The Bible says that that's what the contentions of a woman, a wife, are like. Drip, 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 drip. I know it, drip. I've heard it before. Drip, drip. The Bible goes on to say, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Drip, drip. Here nag, there nag, everywhere nag, nag. I nag this, nag that, nag this, nag this. Debbie was listening to a devotion one day. She was getting ready for the day and I walked in the in the bathroom and she was in there at her little vanity and she was and she was listening to a devotion and I don't remember who was doing the devotion or anything, but she got done with it. I went about my you know, I really wasn't paying much attention to it, but the devotion was about a woman who puts pressure on her husband. And when she got listening to it, done done listening to it and we, we were close enough together, she said, John, do I put pressure on you? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, woman is, she's got that built into her. She gets married thinking, I'm going to change him. Yeah. <laughs> If Jesus don't change him, you ain't going to do it right. You ain't going to, if you try to do all the changing, 
it ain't going to be done right. And you nag him and tell him just what you would do and how you would do it and what you want him to do. I'm going to tell you what a man will do. I'm speaking from a man. We will just shut down. Okay. And we won't listen to it. That's why Jessica sent me a, a, a little text the other day. said, when I married... When I married a man, I didn't know the ears were bought separately. <laughs> a woman nags and nags and nags. And what she's doing, she's putting pressure on that man to be something that he's not to begin with. And to try to straighten him out. And try to change him. And try to... A man will either retreat... Or he will rebel. And he'll come back at that woman. And it'll be Johnny bar the door. By the, two, by the time them two get done with each other. Nag. 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 It's just a continual dropping. Drip. Drip. Are we having a good time yet? Satan will be very faithful to point out your husband's flaws, your wife's flaws. But why don't we change that and start thinking about all the good they do, the right things that they do. You see, a soft answer does turn away strife, but angry words stir it up. They get it going. They, it's like stirring a pot and mixing it all together. It'll get to boiling quickly when you do that. Satan will point out your spouse's flaws. Satan will remind you of all their wrongs. And this one, this one, oh, how I can testify to this one. Satan is good at pointing out their past. Debbie, Debbie hates my iPhone etiquette. I'm not good with a phone. I don't respond, do I, Brother Terry? A lot of times, Brother Nathan told me, he said, he said, you don't never answer your text. You're always two, three days later answering your text. I'm just not good with iPhone etiquette. And, I, and the reason is because I keep my, my phone on silent all the time. My phone's always on silent. I go to bed with it on silent. It's on silent right now over there in my case because I don't want it interrupting the service. I just, I think, well, it's better to keep it on silent. And Debbie's always, she told me, she said, John, when you get up in the morning and you pick up your phone, the first thing I want you to do is turn it off of silent. Okay. I haven't started that habit yet, but I mean, <laughs> she tells me. And she was mentioning that the other day. And she said, I remember, and this happened several years ago, way in the past. I thought it was under the blood. I, I thought we'd gotten it all resolved. I remember years ago 
when I was in town and tried to get hold of you and you didn't answer and I had to drive all the way home. She said, I remember it clearly. <laughs> Satan is good at reminding you of their past. You know what I found out? Every day you get up, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to enjoy today. I'm not going to let the past rob me of what God's got for me today. I'm not going to let worries of the future rob me of what God's got for me today. I'm going to rejoice in what God is doing right now. Satan's good. He's very good. Reminding you of their flaws. Showing you everything wrong about them. And reminding you of everything that's already happened in the past. But I want to talk this morning. I want to end up right here. I want to talk about being thankful and focusing on being thankful today. Today. Maybe you walked in here this morning upset at your husband, upset at your wife. What about today? Let's focus on being thankful today. Here's some remedies, some things that will remedy your unthankfulness. Pray for your spouse. And I'm not pray, I'm not saying pray, God get them. You, God get that in. You, they're wrong, you get them. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about honestly praying for their betterment. Honestly praying in love for your spouse. Let's carry it a little bit further. Not just praying for them, but praying with them. With them. There's nothing like hearing your wife pray. And somewhere in that prayer, she'll say something like, Lord, I want to thank you for my husband. And I want to thank you for John. I want to thank you. There's nothing like hearing your spouse call your name out in prayer. Pray for them. Pray with them. Do this. Do something for them that shows your thankfulness. Husbands, do a little something for them. It's those little things that matter in life. It's not those big, gigantic things that really matter. It's those little acts of thankful. I'm thankful for you. I just want you to know that I love you. Here's just a little something. Do something. Whether it be buying her something, doing something, buying him something. You know, you could buy him something like a brand new gun, <laughs> a brand new GMC Denali four-door. You know I'm kidding. Just do something for them out of, just for no reason, just because I'm thankful that you are mine. Years ago, I was to leave on a camp meeting 
Debbie wasn't going to be able to go. And uh, I'm just going to tell you about a little something that she did for me. She wasn't going to be able to go on the camp meeting with me. And it was, it was a pretty good ride from South Georgia. And, and so I left, made the trip right by myself, got all the way up to North Carolina, upper parts of North Carolina, where the camp meeting was. And they had me and another preacher staying in a camper on the side of a river. I mean, drop-dead gorgeous. I couldn't ask for a better place to stay. It was, it was beautiful. And I got there, you know, and me and the other preacher knew one another, had, had been in several meetings together and were good friends. We chatted, you know, for a little while. And then I got my suitcases unloaded, all my clothes unloaded, put where they were. And I opened my suitcase. And right on top of the suitcase was a little note from Debbie telling me how much she loved me and that she would be praying for me and that God would use me during the meeting. And I've still got that little letter today that she wrote me. Told me, she said, I already miss you. You know, it smelled like her, you know. It's those little things, little things. But I want to say this. Two are a lot better just one. Here a little while back, just not many months ago, I went through a personal, I mean, the battle was raging. It was all inside. It was all me. It was all things that had transpired. And I was just, I was battling. I was hearing voices old voices that I'd not heard in years. And they were saying things, this one was saying that, this one's and I was listening and I was I was cultivating some of them and I was letting some of them find, you know, a little lodging place in my mind. And I was battling. I mean I was fighting. I was trying to be a good soldier and fight the good fight and and to be honest with you, I was losing some of the battles. I was, I was, I'd won the war already, but some of the battles were so heated and intense that I just could not handle some of them. Debbie had a ladies' meeting in here at the church, and she came to it, and uh, she came home, and I'd been sitting there all evening right by myself, right by myself, just one. Satan was having a heyday with my mind and my thoughts. And that's where the battles are. That's where they rage. That's where they, that's where they storm against you. And I was, he was having a heyday and Debbie came home from that meeting. And uh, I was sitting there and I was real quiet. And I said, well, how was your meeting? And she started this, it was great. And I didn't say nothing. And then something triggered something that was going on in my mind, and I just started saying some things. And I was, what's the use? What's, I, you know, just started spewing that filth. And I'm not talking about anything ugly. I'm just talking about the filth of what Satan was messing with my mind. And I got done, and then she said some things back to me.
And to be honest with you, I didn't appreciate them when she first said it. I thought, she don't know what, she ain't going through this battle like I am. And she said those things and, and uh, I sat there and I began thinking about them. And I, I thought after, not right then, I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't right then, it was days later. I got to thinking, she was right. And I started my road of repentance in my mind. And I said, Lord, I've been wrong. The way I've been thinking and looking at things, I want you to forgive me. And it's because my little battle nurse pulled up alongside of me. Two are better than one. It's because my little battle nurse pulled up alongside of me and started pulling, pouring in some oil and wine and helping me with my thought process. Two are better than one. Because when that enemy comes against you, you're going to need that second one to help you pull through. Two are a lot better than one. And that threefold cord is not quickly broken since you come on to the piano. You know, you sit through a service like this and, and we've gone a, I've gone lengthy. I know that. But I figure this. I figure the home's worth fighting for. I figure every marriage is worth fighting for. And I've stood up here on this platform for however many minutes I've been here. And I've been fighting. I've been letting you know there is hope for every marriage, every home, every relationship, every husband, every wife, every person sitting here, I've been fighting for you to let you know there is hope. Two are better than just the one. And the one you've got, that's the one God put in your life. The one you have, that's the one God put in your life. Not another one. Not somebody else. We always get to comparing what we got with that one over there, that one over yonder. No, the one you've got, two, better than one. You make up your mind. I'm calling you to action. I'm not calling you to just sit where you're sitting. I'm calling for you to get up out of your seat and come together to this altar and fight together. Quit wussing around with your marriage. Quit being nonchalant with your love for who God's placed in your life. I'm asking you to action.